Hello and welcome uh, to this New Zealand Initiative podcast. I'm Matt Burgess. I'm joined by our Chief Economist, Dr. Eric Crampton. Hello, Eric. Good afternoon. Well, uh, today is the 10th of August and we are on the day after uh, rolling blackouts in parts of the North Island last night. Coldest night of the year, uh, highest electricity demand of all time, I believe, 7,100 megawatts uh, at around 5.30pm last night, 6.30pm last night. Uh, pretty extraordinary times. Uh the Minister of Energy uh, has uh, obviously been under pressure to respond, and we've seen some interesting developments throughout the day. So let's talk about those. First of all, what do we know? Last night, between 5.30 and 8 p.m., households in uh, the North Island, parts of the North Island, uh, lost access to electricity overnight. Yeah, we could probably start by just going through some of the things that we know weren't the problem, right? So we've been pretty worried about the oil and gas ban and 100% renewables targets. And last year, or well, several months ago, there were some issues where we had shortages of gas supply and that was a major constraint in electricity. That doesn't seem to be in the problem this time at all. Yep. So thermal was running to the extent that the operators of thermal wanted it to run. There were some, well, there's one Rankin line that was down at Huntley that wasn't being run because they hadn't anticipated needing it. And it takes a while for those things to ramp up. But it doesn't look like this is about the oil and gas ban or 100% renewables or anything like that. It looked more like well, a perfect storm on the demand side and then a bunch of things going wrong on the supply side simultaneously. So from what reports we've seen so far, um, the wind died down at the same time. It, in the place where wind needed to be to get wind generation in the wind turbines at the same time as the wind was really whipping up on one of the hydro lakes and pushing weeds into the intake line for 100 megawatts of capacity at uh, Tukarau, the uh, hydroelectric plant. I might have gotten the name wrong. Um, so get those together, get a dip in supply. The TransPower as system operator gets a little bit nervous about whether they're going to be able to continue to meet demand and deal with anything if something goes wrong in one of the other generating plants. So they always talk about N-1 capacity. That means the ability to continue to deal and have dispatchable power if something goes wrong and one of the generators goes down. They issued an emergency warning saying that they had no assurance that they could do that and that load had to come down. Yeah, so I think for me there's two key questions and uh, one interesting event that's at this point unresolved as far as I know. Uh, why do the lights companies uh, switch off? Why, would, if they were directed or made their own decision, what was the logic there? Second, uh, was capacity available but not bid into the market, and if so, why? And then for me, there's just the general question of, you know, if you've got a clearing wholesale market, why do you need, you know, what was the thing that was preventing uh, or going to actually lead to insufficient supply? Normally, you'd expect equal supply to equilibrate with demand, uh, even when supply is constrained. Ultimately, you'd expect um, the highest bids to be accepted in the usual way. Bids, unsuccessful bids, um, unaccepted, uh, you've got equilibrium. What was the thing that was uh, preventing that from happening? Uh, these are some, look, we're tw less than 24 hours after the event. Sure. These are big, important questions. So these have to be resolved before we see ministers, the government and the opposition uh, jumping to conclusions. And I think there's a big risk here of, you know, you've got a Minister of Energy who is on the front page of the news holding press conferences through the day, issuing directions to officials and wanting answers um, in a few hours, completely uh, reasonable, right thing to do. Minister has to be seen to be acting. Mm -hmm. It's not clear she's done anything. It's not clear the government's done anything to precipitate this. This is as far as we know at this point. 
it's just a, a freak combination of circumstances that have led to um, probably the most serious blackouts we've seen probably in a decade, possibly 30 years. I mean, we're talking, um, this, is, this is unusual, but it's only affected a few thousand people. Let's not um, blow this out of proportion. Part of uh, what's going on, I think, is a product of the success of the system that we've had that uh, blackouts have become an extremely unusual thing in this country. They were very common until about 30 years ago. The last major blackout was in 1992. Nearly 30 years without uh, anything like this is quite an achievement, but here we are. The key thing, I think, is that the government uh, is given the time that's needed. The government and officials uh, are given the room they need to establish what the facts are so that decisions can be made in response to the set of problems that came up last night. What do you think? No, I agree. The The Electricity Authority is there. They are the independent organization who is tasked with overseeing all of this. I The first place that I checked this morning when I wanted to see what, well, what the heck happened last night, I go to the Electricity Authority's website. I was looking to see if there's a press release there or any further information, and there was nothing at all. So that was a little bit disappointing. I was hoping to have seen a bit of front footing there. Uh, Transpower had a statement up a little bit later on that was a little bit ambiguous about quite what had happened. There was indication that mm. they had um, either had not uh, anticipated not enough power in t- in total or not enough n minus one power, and I it wasn't quite Strangely obvious which it was ambiguous, wasn't it? Um, and then later in the day, there were reports that Transpower or this was coming from the minister in one of the standups around two o'clock that TransPower had overestimated the amount of supply that needed to, uh, sorry, the amount of demand that needed to be curtailed out of the market. Uh, So they'd pulled back by 100% more than was needed. And you can kind of see that in the dip. If you go into the TransPower website, they have uh, rolling reporting of live status of what's going on in the electricity market, how much is being generated. And the shedding of generation and electricity demand from sort of mid-afternoon yesterday through to early this morning is a substantial decline in the amount of power that was in the system. Uh, I don't think all of that was the 100 megawatts from the hydro plant that had the weeds in the intake. It couldn't have been. It it was much more than 100 megawatts difference, and it wasn't just the wind power coming down either. So there had been some direction for more demand shedding than might have been necessary. Mistakes can happen on that sort of thing. I'm no expert on that on that side of it. But the appropriate agency for sorting out what the hell happened last night would be the Electricity Authority. It would be premature and pretty disappointing that National was calling for the head of the Electricity Minister on this uh, right at the outset. I think that we'd need some stronger indication that it was something that was actually within the minister's power to have screwed up that caused all of this before you go there. And, uh, and the risk is that by applying this sort of pressure, oh yeah. you're encouraging the Minister for Energy to um, to a knee-jerk reaction. And we can imagine a few ways she could jump um, at very short notice that could end up being quite destructive. Sure. And that was the thing that was worrying me a fair bit this morning and early this afternoon, trying to figure out just what had screwed up because there has been a bit of a history um, over the past couple of years of knee-jerk policy responses that haven't mm. been particularly well thought through or well canvassed with officials to see what the effects might be. There's a lot of risk of that in electricity markets, especially where there's ongoing pressure from those who are kind of skeptical of the electricity market as it has been functioning and want to see the thing break down. Well, let, look, let's just go through it. I think the key thing we're trying to communicate here is that the issues that uh, occurred last night, very serious, 
there's a set of owners here who have responsibility, who have oversight in the legislation as it stands to be dealing with these issues and reporting back to the minister. Let's go through it. You have the Electricity Authority, of course, independent, uh, transition from the Electricity Commission in 2010. Um, they're independent. They actually know what they're doing. They're well-led. They've got good people in there. We have a Security and Reliability Council. Every year before winter, we know that they go through the next 90 to 120 days through the winter modelling what the peak on each day of winter is going to be to try and anticipate and get ahead of uh, the risk curve, as it were, to be ahead of the game on these sorts of things. We've got Transpower. We've got the Commerce Commission who's looking at market power. If there's any question of misbehaviour by any of the players in the market, you've got a Commerce Commission and the EA uh, on top of that. You've also got MB, who's been brought into the mix by the Minister on some kind of communications role, and then ultimately you've got Minister and Cabinet. So there's a whole hierarchy of independent systems and checks and balances here, no shortage of data, no shortage of people looking at what has happened last night and trying to prevent a repeat tonight. That's still a possibility. Let's just give the system time to breathe. But it would be, I agree with you, it would be great to see the Electricity Authority out there reminding the public of what its role is in this and asserting its independence and also its expertise and authority um, and that tell us something about what the next three, day, three days to a week looks like in terms of what it's going to be looking at and when it's reporting back and the set of issues it's, it's going to be testing. So the point is we've got a system here and it just needs time to do its work. I think there's a risk that you're going to see Megan Woods, um, if she comes under enough pressure, jump in a precipitous way. The thing I worry about is capacity contracts. You know, those things have been floating around for at least the last decade. We know that there's a lot of sympathy in parts of officialdom and among some of the market players for them. Capacity contracts introduced into Britain uh, less than a decade ago. I think you're going to have to step back a little bit, Matt, and explain what the heck you mean by that. Well, capacity contracts are government funding or purchasing of capacity, so just capacity. The uh, electricity generating plant, the government isn't paying for output from the plant, it's just paying for the plant to be there. And you can see how capacity, kind of, that kind of contract, so at the moment if, if you're an electricity generator, you make your money from selling electricity, and that's it. And that's how you cover the fixed cost of the plant and the fuel employees and depreciation and all of that. Capacity contracts are separate and additional to that. They're payments just for the capacity to be there and if it's needed. Now you can see how for the government capacity contracts could be attractive in the aftermath of a blackout where we didn't have enough capacity for about a two or three hour period on a particularly cold winter night. You can also see how capacity contracts might be attractive when you think about the government's uh, ambitions around Lake Onslow in the South Island. This is the government's $4 billion proposal to build a pumped hydro scheme. That scheme looks like it's going to lose a lot of money. It's not going to be a commercial proposition. Probably. We're still to see the business case. The problem with having this huge non-commercial entity coming into the market is you've got all these other incumbents who could see their assets stranded by this um, uh, unduly competitive um, uh, player coming in. And those incumbent players might say to the government, well, how are you going to protect us? Well, one answer to that question is with capacity contracts. So the downside, this all sounds great, capacity contracts add a lot of complexity and they have the effect of shifting where investment decisions get made. At the moment, they sit with independent the market. A lot of them are partly state-owned, but they're independent. They take the risk, they fund the costs, and they just make the decisions about what kind of technology where gets built. Very, very complicated problem. With capacity contracts, those decisions almost overnight are going to tip from the market where they currently sit 
to officials and potentially ministers, depending on whether it's independent or not. So you have a fundamental shift in the whole way investment um, uh, gets done. And that's kind of important when you're looking at electrifying the entire economy and there's got to be billions and billions of dollars of new investment that's going to have to come in of the next decade. Who makes those decisions and who bears the risk? Those things are really important for good decision making. This is one of those areas where Kiwis underappreciate the some of the underlying institutions that we've had in place for some time. So the electricity market gets a lot of heat, often from mostly retired people out of Vic Uni that write op-eds in the DOM, um, just to, who hate markets in general and especially hate them when they're applied to electricity. But the effect of all of it has been that generation decisions have been commercial decisions. We haven't needed subsidies to drive a lot of investment in renewables. You'd gone through this in your report a couple of years back for us where shifts into wind, we're one of the few places in the world where this is driven by that. It makes sense as a viable commercial proposition. I I think we're the only country in the world that uh, we don't subsidize uh, generation. And we're one of the most renewable in the world. Renewables work if you just let them stand on their own two feet. And that's what we've done. It's a wonderful system we've got. It's extraordinary. Yeah. So it's all been driven by profit and loss incentives. Now it's been constrained a little bit that it's almost impossible to get consenting for a new hydroelectric dam. But one of the nice things about markets is that they route around those kinds of blockages, right? If that kind of opportunity is blocked, players have incentive to try and find the next best thing out there. And if that one gets blocked, well, you try and find the next best thing out there rather than winter winter picking in, well, you must provide this much kind of capacity for these kinds of times and in this form. Yeah, the lesson, I wrote a report a couple of years ago on on Germany, actually. And uh, the lesson from Germany, Germany decisions get made politically, politically and by officials, not by the market. And so, you know, the question of, electricity generation mix, you know, the composition of your electricity system, it's so complicated. And every decision is tens or hundreds of millions of dollars. Every asset lasts 50 years. Everything's dynamic. It's just a magnificently complicated problem. Now, pretty much the last place you want those super complicated decisions being made um, is the beehive, quite frankly. Nothing against people in there. It's just a really complicated decision. You want distributed decision-making and you want risk to be in the hands of the people making the decisions so they make money if they make a good decision but they bear the downside if they make a bad decision depending on everything else that's going on it is possible in fact it's very easy to build too many solar panels or too many wind turbines uh, or not enough gas it's all about complements and uh, when you build too many solar panels you're not helping the environment those panels will just sit there idle generating electricity that nobody, at the same time as everything else that's going on in the market, the electricity is wasted. It's a, it's pure waste. You're not helping the environment. You only help the environment uh, with solar panels or wind or hydro if you're displacing uh, high emissions, uh, things like coal or gas. There's only a limited number of circumstances where building an extra unit of renewables actually leads to that displacement. And if you're not in a position to know at what point that window closes, because that's the key thing, if you keep building past that point, which is what they did in Germany, um, then you're just you're literally harming the environment because of all the resources that actually go into building these things that actually don't cut any emissions at all. Germany's found that you know they, they had half the world's solar installed solar capacity at one point. German, um, China's taken over now. They built all of that solar, half the world's capacity was in Germany, and they were burning about as much coal as they ever had, precisely because solar, it's a wonderful technology, but it just wasn't a good fit relative to everything else that was going on in the system. And so you need decision making that's sensitive to the point at which 
it stops making sense to build the next solar panel or the next wind turbine. And that sensitivity is present and is present under our, our current system, where the downside of making a bad investment is is a loss for the decision maker. Under an alternative, where those decisions sit in the beehive. They don't face that risk. They they get the political upside of building more solar panels. They don't care whether um, they don't have to care whether it actually helps the environment or not. Yeah, and all of that all of that is the very broad picture risk of knee jerk responses mm-hmm. to something that just happened last night. What sorts of things should be, we be watching for in the coming investigations and report on this? I'm keen to know um, why TransPower thought that more needed to be shed than needed to be shed. I'm keen to know how much of the local line company shutting down in the central North Island was by direction and how much was um, yep. chosen uh, perhaps in response to some of the incentives in the line's pricing mechanism. Uh, it could have all been by transpower direction. We just don't know the facts on the ground yet, right? So it's a mistake to speculate too much on it. But I'd love to see some of that that all established. What other things are you going to be watching for? Well, I think one of the things I'll be looking for is whether the Electricity Authority uh, maintains its position as the independent uh, advisor to the minister, primary advisor on these uh, issues. There is an alternative in MB. MB is not independent. They're a department. Yeah. Uh, and I would be very concerned to see the minister. Um, MB has a role already. So far we know it's around comms. If MB is given more work to do, especially if it's work that's actually should be in the hands of the Electricity Authority, I think that would be a very negative signal. Um, I have to say so far everything I've seen from Minister Woods has been on the money, sensible, timely. I think she's, she comes across to me as, as on the front foot. She's asking good questions, and she's made clear that she expects answers uh, turn around in a few hours. That's good. That's uh, about as much as you'd hope for from the minister on day one. We have to let's just say it again. There's nothing that the minister has done, nothing the government has done that has led to what happened last night. Um, so the minister is ultimately responsible, um, but has done nothing to cause this, and is so far doing the right thing. Let's hope we can see other political parties deciding not to be opportunistic and just giving the minister a chance to get the facts, make some decisions, and then be criticised or um, otherwise on those on those facts and decisions. Um, but rushing to judgment and calling for a resignation from the minister today, I'm not sure was that helpful. At the same time, though, I'd be pretty disappointed if the report that comes out is accompanied by a set of strong policy recommendations that come from the minister that aren't something that the Electricity Authority had come to on its own, right? That's always a bit of the risk in this, that until the facts on the ground are really established and the investigation has happened, nobody can really seriously think through it. But if the policy response is announced at the same time as that's released then again, nobody can seriously think through it because it's already fait accompli. And yeah, and look, this stuff just, you know, things are happening in real time. There's still the potential of, of more blackouts before the winter's over. Um, obviously, ministers are under pressure. This is a massively complicated system that they're dealing with. Um, there are independent, you know, these bodies are independent for a reason. It's because that independence buys you cover to do the work that's necessary to make a good decision. And so we really need to see, I think, the system step up, uh, resist any attempt, not that we've seen any, but any attempt at uh, interference. They just need to be able to do their work, get to the facts, report honestly and fairly back to the minister and be judged on the merits of what they come up with. But my gosh, if Russia, all rushes to judgment will end up, um, uh, turn out poorly, I think. 
with a system like electricity. There's, there's a lot at stake. It's really complicated. And if you're guessing, you're going to get it wrong. Sounds like a good take to me. All right, Eric. We'll look forward to our events tonight uh, and over the next week. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Thank you.